sit back, relax, and let's start the motherfucking beat. Get this message out here. I'm doing what I love to help a community out. Like, yeah, I mean, what is the next step? What's the one thing I can do today? That's going to get us one. So, I mean, I don't know what's what's in the future. Art is the only way you can reach out to the future. It is the only thing that actually lives through a time capsule. And I think that if the DIY scene as a whole put more of a value on itself, it could be a lot more sustainable. Now, if someone doesn't like it, that's their deal. Perfect. Very nice. Cool. So we've already been sitting here shooting the shit for a little bit. You're yeah. in the middle of a lot of things. Yeah get into it. You have the, the Enix t-shirt on. You already yep. have shirts. You're not even open yet. Yeah, we have shirts. That? The first round of shirts that we printed, <laughs> originally we had the other name, which was Trios. Uh, okay, yeah. But we had a, um, a copyright dispute, and now we're going to be Enix Brewing Company, uh, which is right down on 8th Avenue in Homestead. We have a soft opening coming up on the 22nd. We're not sure when the Probably multiple hard openings will be coming up, but they're in, they're in the near future before there's snow on the ground. Yeah, so. and this is like a family thing with you, right? This yeah, is your family. That's yeah. So up this place. My stepdad is the president of a development company that primarily does affordable housing and senior housing, and his brother uh, moved to Spain several years ago to be a brewmaster there, and he opened a brewery in downtown Ma Madrid called Mad Beer. And then he opened, he was a partner in opening a larger brewery outside of Madrid. Um, the name escapes me right now. But this is his third brewery. He moved back to the United States to have his kid and, you know, raise his yeah. family and be closer to his other family here. And do what, he, do what he knows how to do, right? Yeah. Oh, my God. And we're so excited. He has so many good beers on tap. The Kolsch is going to be like our flagship beer. My favorite is the Red Ale that he has. And he has a porter that's really outstanding awesome. as well. Cool. So. My next question was going to be, what kind of beers are you doing? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a, I mean, breweries keep popping up. And it's a lot more common for them to not be, like, super unique. Yep. It's like, I don't even know why you opened. There's already yep. two other breweries 200 other breweries doing exactly what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, granted, if you knock it out of the park and you do it better than them, then right. cool. But I'm happy to see somebody that's like, oh, our flagship beer is going to be a fucking Kolsch. Fuck yeah, you. Yeah, a Kolsch. Well, because <laughs> you, you feel like it's going to connect with people who don't necessarily want to drink like an IPA all the time. Yeah, like yeah. We're regular beer drinkers. But we're not going to, I don't think we're going to keep, you know, Budweiser in the building. It's going to be like all our beers and we're going to try to convince people a little bit, you know, like if you're used to American style lagers or whatever, then maybe you could just branch out just an inch, but we're not going to like have beers that are only going to challenge people. Sometimes I go to bars and I'm an adventurous beer drinker or I go to a brewery and I'm not even interested in most of the stuff on tap. Yeah. Like I don't like unnecessarily fruited sours. I know I'll get like people in the beer community are like, but those are the best. I can't really drink them. Um, I like mellower beers. Uh, Victory does a um, an American-style lager that I just got in a 15-pack, uh, or an American-style ale. I don't remember what. I'm I'm a bad beer guy. But sure. uh, it was really, really good. It was my favorite beer in the pack. And it's nice to have a break from chugging those golden monkeys. You know what yeah. I'm talking about? <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, uh, I'm definitely been more i mean i think i went through my phase of like you know wow like these crazy ipas i've never had anything like this mm -hmm. and it's almost kind of parallel to like the first time you find out about like some ridiculous grind core or something yeah. you're like whoa <laughs> i've never heard anything like this and this is really intense but then like you know 
it kind of plateaus, and you're like, wait, this is a little bit much. Yeah. I can't listen to this all the time. You hit a wall, and you're that's how I'm a Gruder <laughs> grind at four in the morning, <laughs> yeah. and you're just like, this might not be for me. Yeah, this, <laughs> that's how I feel about IPAs right now. Like I've kind of like I'm happy that they exist, and mm-hmm. there's a good market for them. But it for me, it's like I just want to scale it back and just listen to like you know. A song that you know is like a song, like yeah. keep it old school. And I want a beer that tastes like a fucking beer. Beer, yeah. Well, that's what I like is that, and then you can have different kinds of like pairings and stuff. You can accentuate your food. We're gonna do like a Mediterranean and Caribbean inspired menu. That's awesome for the most part. So it's gonna be like a little bit Spanish, and then our chef is from uh, the Virgin Islands. So he's gonna bring. I mean, he's cooked all over the world, but he, he's got a lot of stuff on the menu. Like, he does his oxtail in a Caribbean style that's going to be really, really good. Uh, and he's putting a Caribbean spin on one of our croquetas. And there's just going to be a lot of really cool that's stuff. That's really cool. I'm very excited to hear about, you know, a good, unique brewery in the city in an area that could use some more foot traffic. Yeah, right. And, uh, yeah. Hey. Well, it's cool. There's been, like, a little coalition of small business owners and stuff in the Homestead area who get together a lot, like... Uh, Jerry that runs the Blue Dust has really been instrumental in warming Homestead up to the idea of a lot of new business moving in. And there's there's some good stuff down there too. Like I eat at Dorothy Six and I eat at Honest John's. Uh, Honest John's is actually particularly good. That's probably my favorite place to eat in Homestead until we open. So. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't been. I haven't never even heard of Honest John's. So. Uh, yeah, it's in the old Tin Front Cafe spot. Oh, okay, okay. And so is it? Is it? How long has it been open? I'm not 100% sure. I was I didn't know that it was there when I got taken there. I want to say 3 or 4 weeks ago. Oh, uh, okay, cool. Um, but it was really good. The menu was really comprehensive and they replaced a vegan and vegetarian restaurant, but they still do have vegan and vegetarian options. So, yeah. it's good that they didn't boot that out. And we're going to have vegan and vegetarian options too. So, you got to have those. Yeah. Oh, show. Well, before we get any more deep into this, I think that was a good little teaser mm-hmm. for the episode who we're talking to. <laughs> I'm gonna do my introduction, and then you know we'll we'll carry on, right. and we'll do we'll 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 have a good talk. Hello, and welcome to Start the Beat with Sykes. My name is Sykes, and this is my podcast. Just want to take a quick moment to thank everyone who checked out last week's episode. If you're one of the people who listened to that conversation, I hope you enjoyed it, and thanks so much for coming back. But for those of you out there who are new to the show, welcome. Please feel free to make yourselves at home. And as always, there's Enix beer and soda in the fridge. <laughs> Actually, there is no Enix beer. Is it Enix? Am I pronouncing it's that right? Enix. But I'm sure a lot of people uh, will say That's going to be a fucking totally nightmare. Fine. Oh, it's going to be a nightmare. Yes, it is. I apologize. <laughs> Enix. Uh, yeah, we're actually not drinking any beer right now. I'm drinking some sparkling water and... Normal water over water. here, you know, it's, it's a Monday night. Keep it relaxed. Keep it chill. Drank too much yesterday. Got to take a break. Um, my guest this week is returning to the show. You've been on one time before yep. as, you know, one fifth or sixth of the, the six, sick house unit. <laughs> that was a fun episode. However many people were on that episode. And uh, it's JPZ. What up? Introduce yourself. It's me. I'm John Paul Zichterman. I'm on Facebook a lot. I'm in some local bands. How many fluctuates? I make electronic music. Uh, I'm helping my family open a brewery in Homestead. Uh, and I make a lot of memes on the internet. Yeah, yeah. You make a lot of people mad on the internet. Oh, God. People get really, really <laughs> upset at my posts. I don't even... The funny, I, I try to post the hottest takes I can. 
and people ignore them. And then I say something that I think is like totally just trite and like just a normal opinion to have and people want to crucify me over it. Um, <laughs> but it is the way it is. That's what happens when you accept all your friend requests for two straight years. So Fair enough. Fair enough. So there's a lot to dive into here. We were kind of talking about the brewery there and kind of made some music references to that. So I guess let's oh, yeah. let's tap into, I guess, just the music thing a bit. Um, I know you play in a bunch of bands and do solo music and play mm-hmm. drums and all this other shit. So like, what have you been working on recently that is exciting for you uh, well, as a creator? Well, we recorded like, some tracks with Lawn Care. That's like my most active project right now. Uh, and we have the bass tracks down. We're just trying to find the time to do the rest of the tracks. Uh, and we're going to figure out a way to release that soon. We're like shopping around for bands to do a split with, or we're not sure if we're just going to release the songs by themselves. Or like, sure. what's happening right now? Um, and then I've been really ramping up making like footwork inspired breaks and stuff as Luminaire, which used to be me playing drums along the like Super Nintendo style. I remember that. Yeah. But now it's more like of a DJ focused kind of thing, which is funny because like, I, I don't really DJ or am even like active whatsoever in the local electronic music scene. I basically like, I know C Scott. Yeah. <laughs> and that's pretty, and I know you, and that's pretty much it. Uh, <laughs> I've met Johnny Jitters a couple of times. I mean, I could list everybody that I've met once or twice and they're all great people, but um, it's just kind of funny because like I've been, I've been doing it for such a long time and it's my passion, but I'm like so tepid about taking it out on stage. And I made like a post on my Facebook. I want to say like a, a year ago, like nine months ago where I was just like, who are the people in town that make electronic music? Can you tag them in the comments of my post? Is it okay if I friend them? And I friended a bunch of them. Uh, and there were some really good ones, like Kevin Bednar in particular, uh, I really appreciate online. But like, I still haven't taken the time to dive in. I'm hoping maybe we can get some kind of event going in the bowling alley upstairs from the brewery that's like electronic music oriented and I can kind of get my foot in the door. Without having it's to put your myself door. out that too much. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> I know, right? Well, it's crazy. Like, I'm also... Okay, so I'm supposed to be booking live music for uh, NX coming up, and we're not 100%... Like, the, the stage isn't done yet. We haven't done the electronics for the stage and everything, the sound system. Um, but if you want to email me for consideration, you can send me an email at music at nx.beer. Uh, Are you looking for like anything in particular? Well, we can do a variety of acts. So like if you have, you know, if you're like a family friendly dad rock band or whatever with a two hour set, clearly we want you come, (laughs) come at us, but we will be doing more experimental and more like catering to like local band styles and stuff. I mean, um, I know a lot of people within reason, sure within reason. Yeah. But I mean, you can pull from the DIY scene, you can have some noodly bands and you can have some more like experimental kind of rock and roll and we can do some even more experimental stuff upstairs in the bowling alley space permitting you know depending so so is the bowling alley gonna be like an active bowling alley yeah it's eight lanes there's a couple of league nights um is the is the, now, bo- the bowling alley like already open yeah Has it's it been, been open? up there for a long time people don't know there's a bowling alley up yeah, there i had no idea yeah. uh yeah when it was just a hardware store they they installed a bowling alley up there and it's been league nights only for a very long time. Okay, but with our acquisition of it, we're going to open it to the public. I think it's going to be five nights a week. It's going to be like I think we don't get Friday, but it's going to be like Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, or something sure. like that. Don't quote me on that. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be something something along that format. So yeah, bowling alley upstairs, food and beer downstairs, bands and other live music outside. Um, and that's been kind of crazy too because like. 
you put an email address out there saying that you <laughs> run a space and the floodgates just open. Oh, I bet. And I know people that even just like book on a DIY level and you get doing it for a little while and it's just like a torrent all the time. So I'm just waiting. I don't for even to book shows and I get people that try to hit me up all the time. I, I get I get messages to my defunct band's pages asking me to book shows. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't do this. Uh-huh. This band hasn't played a show in four years. Like, it's just, so it's funny. It's weird being around in a local music scene for like a long time too. Um, and just like being a part of it in so many different ways. Cause I like, I can't go anywhere without seeing somebody I know, or like remembering a time that like, it was actually weird biking up here into Troy Hill today. Is that what they yeah. said? Troy Hill? Cause it, I've never really been through here before. And that's an unusual experience for me by this point being somewhere that's this close to like, you know, this yeah. deep in the heart of metropolitan Pittsburgh. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're right in the middle of it, but this is kind of one of those places that you don't just casually end up in. Right. Unless you know somebody up here. Mm-hmm. That's just kind of what it is. cute though. It's is. really nice up here. I do like this area a whole heck of a lot. So with, you know, opening up a brewery and still working on music and going to be helping book these shows at this place. And like, this isn't all you're doing. You have like a, a job outside of this as well. Yep. Right. So is, all of this family brewery stuff going to eventually transition into a full-time thing for you? Yeah. So we're looking at, um, uh, my boss at my current job probably isn't going to listen to this podcast. I'm looking at, uh, this September coming up, I'm probably going to quit the current job I'm working at, which is a very unglamorous job as a dispatcher. It is kind of like one of the better jobs I've had so far. I do like it, but, um, getting to work as a bartender and as an event promoter and as like a full-time, uh, you know, like family member helping run the business is just going to be so much more rewarding for me. So I think I'm going on vacation in early September. I'll get back in like mid September, like around the 15th or the 16th. And then it'll just be full time from there. It'll be full steam ahead at Enix. So I'm ready for it. I've been waiting for this place to be open for about three years since we initially so I should say since Victor initially came up with the idea and really started pursuing it. So Yeah, I remember, you know, I've known you now for probably about three or four years. Yeah. And I remember there was always those talks of like, hey, my family's gonna be opening up a thing. I'm mm-hmm. like, cool, cool, cool. You yep. know, can't can't wait to yeah, see every, it happen. Everybody's like, can't wait. And, and then, I'm like, and I then can't all of a sudden I blink my fucking eyes and now it's happening. Like Yeah, here it is. Three years went Foo! Oh my god. The I the, I wish it felt like an eye blink for me. We had um there was like a, a thing where a bank that was doing funding with us backed out and then we had to go and we had to seek out a new bank. That sounds so about right. Put it all back by about, it was nine months to a year that it set everything behind. And there have been other minor setbacks and everything, but honestly for a project as big as it is, I, I can safely say that not that much has gone wrong and I'm really excited for it to be there. It's funny cause I lived in Homestead for so many years Yeah, and I was always like really, really big on building in Homestead. And then uh, now, as we're finally putting this like flagship project in that I'm really excited about, uh, I live in Mount Washington, and I have to commute <laughs> nine miles on the trail on my bike to get there. Although I'll I'll probably buy a car soon. There'll be snow on the ground soon. So yeah, and I've just been putting it off, and that's still not a bad ride. No, it's oh my gosh, that trail is so long and so beautiful, and you you rarely rarely have to encounter traffic. And there's so many great trails. There was a a pedestrian bridge that I took to get here that I've never taken before. 
uh, and that was really nice. And I got really used to figuring out a way to bike from Mount Washington to Polish Hill for another job that I had. Uh, and that was a really interesting ride. Riding through the Strip District is a lot of fun. Seeing Pittsburgh by bike is like really rewarding. I think that's part of the reason that I haven't like buckled down and bought a car as fast as I should. Is I am I'm kind of complacent on the bike. I like being on the bicycle a lot. I like getting the exercise. It helps keep the beer belly down. So. Yeah, need to keep that in mind. I mean, I have a bike. I don't ride it nearly as much as I should, but I have it. And uh, I do enjoy riding through the city. I think sometimes it's actually a little bit easier to get places on bike. In if you're Pittsburgh. downtown, you're the fastest traffic. Yeah. I'm easily the fastest traffic downtown. And that's great because downtown is the center of so many of my trips places, you know, being in Mount Washington. So Pittsburgh is like weirdly very bike friendly for how much terrain there is and how unforgiving the terrain is. It's like you can really get a lot of places on bike. You can, but it's funny, like riding up through here like this is not a bike friendly neighborhood no not like really. the but this isn't like a traffic friendly neighborhood at all because mm-hmm. all the streets are so fucking narrow yeah, and everybody's just, just hella aggressive mm-hmm. oh yeah <laughs> well i didn't i didn't get a taste of that yeah yet, but yeah. I, I can feel it in the air i guess yeah yeah it's a definitely a hyper aggressive traffic area now with the you know outside of being a electronic musician and a beer drinker and all of these other things, you know, what do you, what do you do for fun? Like what, what let's get to know you a little bit. Uh, I play a lot of old video games. Okay. That's like my real passion and reading, uh, anarchist literature has been my big (laughs) thing. So yeah, like I'll get Pokemon soul silver emulator go in on my phone and ds games are great to emulate on a smartphone because you know it's like it's set up for you You got the touch screen and everything right there and then you deactivate the sound so that you can fast forward soul silver to play like four times as fast so the battles don't take forever and you can walk around in the tall grass at walk speed but you still move fairly fast because did you know when you're running you run into more encounters so you can more easily just walk from town to town anyway with the sound <laughs> off you can listen to audiobooks uh, on YouTube, I have YouTube Red, so I can listen in, yeah. the, in the background. It comes with my Google Play Music account, <laughs> better than Spotify. Um, and yeah, so I'll just listen to like whatever audiobook has been recommended to me. It's not all anarchist literature. I listened to some Gramsci recently, who's more like just a Marxist. But I've been doing Kropotkin and Reclu, and there was some stuff from Malatesta that I listened to recently. And then I was actually buckling down. Today, when I was at, I say buckling down, I was drinking a beer. Um, <laughs> I was buckling down, and I was uh, I buckle a few down, yeah. and I was uh, reading Wolfie Landstriker's translation of the Unique and Its Property, which is Max Stirner's big uh, magnum opus, or you know his big um, joke of a piece, depending on which way you want to observe it. But yeah, there's that, and then I've also been really into Super Paper Mario. Okay, which, uh, <laughs> is is really a masterpiece of a game and like the true, I feel like the true successor to where Super Mario RPG left off. Which like the idea of RPGs in the Mario universe, turn based RPGs, is such a beautiful thing to me. Like it feels like such, I don't know, it like it lives somewhere near the true core essence of playing a video game. Yeah, because uh, the gameplay is so strong, the storytelling is so strong. It's in this like really well expanded universe. Like, I always felt like at some point m- the Mario universe should have fallen off as big as it is and like lost steam and stopped being cool. But I am as enchanted with it as I ever was when I was like playing Super Nintendo 
on my in you know my parents' house when I was like six years mm-hmm. old. So. I I was a really really big fan of the Super Mario RPG when it came out, and I liked a lot of the the turn based stuff that was on Super Nintendo. I always like I just don't like where I mean. Granted, I've really fallen off with video games. Mm-hmm. I don't keep up with stuff anymore. I don't make the time for it. Right. You know, but the reason why I stopped making the time for it was I kind of like lost interest in like as video games evolved, it was like the fun kind of got stripped away. I feel that way. And like, especially with like a lot of RPGs as like graphic capabilities got better and better. Everything Mm -hmm. was like, let's make it more realistic. And then with realistic comes a more gritty story and serious. It's like, I don't give a fuck about this. I want to play something ridiculous. It's the same to me as like the Ingway Malmsteen obsession with like ultra technicality. Like how many notes can I shred? Like how ultra shredding can I be? How many, how many, you know, flames can I paint on the side of my van? Sure. It's not like, it that doesn't add up to something that's as enjoyable as something that is like thought out and complex and has, you know, good bones, as we say. Like if the battle system is strong, if the narrative feels like it ties into the mechanics of the game and they're not just like these things that have been superimposed on one another. Like when you can have the same level of immersion that you have when you're watching a good movie or reading a good book, playing a good video game, that's when you're playing a good video game. Yeah. And, and old video games had that because when you're reaching, when you're in an early, like a nascent technology like that, like the Super Nintendo era or the, the Nintendo Entertainment System era, you're like still excited about what this baby technology can do. And you have all this conjecture and you're reaching for these absurd things. And I don't feel like we're doing that anymore. It's just kind of congealed into like, here's this ultra-realistic war simulator. Like, you ever play an ultra-realistic flight simulator? It's not that much fun. Yeah. That's how I feel about ultra-realistic war well, simulators. Well, I think that, you know, there's nothing left to the imagination with a lot of these games, so you're, like, you don't really get to use much of your, like, creativity juices. Mm-hmm. You know, you're just kind of playing through a narrative yep. that exists, whereas when I think about stuff like you know, older Final Fantasy games. It's like, there's a creative element because, you know, you can combine different armor and all these things and, you know, get your characters set up and, like, change your parties out. And, like, I mean, it's not, like, art creation, but you still have to, like, think and problem solve and use your imagination. Of, like, yeah, it's a good combination of, like, being imaginative and, like, the the puzzle solving. Yeah, problem solving, yeah. Yeah, like... And I feel like that that hit its apex, and it stayed at its apex for a, a little while. I feel like that's really well manifested in games like the first two games from the Diablo series um, were, like, for me, games that really crystallized, like, what a story-driven RPG with a pretty open world could be like. Because I don't want an all-the-way open world, you know? I don't want I I never, when I was a kid, I never managed to get very far in the Grand Theft Auto games. Because I was just excited. I was like, guns and cars. Let's run around. Let's mayhem. Let's do it. Yeah. I thought it was just rampage, but um, with humans. And uh, <laughs> so I never, you know, I was like, plot, what's a plot? Yeah, nobody, like, who's playing the story? This is the plot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I feel like that's that can be similarly not as rewarding, like uh, with what happened with No Man's Sky. They were like, let's make the most openest world game of all time. And then everybody was like, so so gassed up for it and then they hated it 
And then they were like, let's change it to be all the things it wasn't going to be before. And now everybody loves it. And I'm like, mm, I'm torn between the, this part of me that wants like crazy innovative gaming and part of me that just wants to be like, there's a script for immersive and for thoughtful and provoking storytelling and gameplay and you should just stick to it. Um, and I don't know how to reconcile those. I'm not a game theoretician. Yeah, I, I was going to like ask with... You know, all of your, you're, you're a creative individual, you know, had you ever wanted to get into like a development of games or? That was my you- first great creative interest was when I was in technology class in like early high school. I wanted to be a video game developer. Like all of my independent study time, I was learning action script, cannot write action script anymore, can't speak Spanish anymore either. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I was writing action script games in Flash and like I was doing RPGs. I learned how to program the TI-84 calculators because uh, I was learning, I was doing like algebra and then pre-calculates and stuff like that. And I was yeah. like, well, I can just write a program that will do the work for me. And then my teacher was like, well, you have to show your work. I was like, I can write a program that will show the work for me and I can just copy it down. And then I was like, wait, I can write a program where you go around the school and buy and sell weed at different prices and try not to get caught. (laughs) And I wrote this game and it was an absolute fucking ton of fun. And I was like, I want to make games, but like all things that are both hard and rewarding, I eventually fell off because I was wrapped up in other things. I mean, the end of high school was rocky for me and I was really starting to get enamored with music at that time i was still mostly playing bass not even uh drums but uh it was just yeah you know what happens at the end of high school yeah (laughs) well it's kind of funny you know i all throughout middle school and high school art was my main focus okay and music was kind of a back burner like i made i was starting to make beats in like early high school but it was just because me and my friends were making bad rap songs about like big fat titties and stealing money from people and stuff like yeah. that. You know, like yeah. just like joke gangster rap. Yeah, we were that sounds fun. fucking 14 years old. Yeah. What do you want? That you know, about right. <laughs> and, but you know, as I got a little bit older, cause like a lot of the art stuff that I was doing was graffiti focused. Okay. And, um, it got to a point where I'm getting older and now I have a job and I'm starting to like learn things about like the value of other people's property mm-hmm. and things. And I start to like kind of feel bad about what I'm doing. And like, and like some of the people that I was um, friends with, they were starting to get into like things with that whole world that I was not interested in. I was right. always more like, let me find like a, a nice quiet spot and make like a cool piece of art. Right. I wasn't like them. Like, well, like, you know, they'll go out two or three o'clock in the morning and like, you know, right on every mailbox in Oakland. And I'm just like, eh. like, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really about that life That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, I'm not interested in that particularly. It just wasn't for me. So I, st- as I was like, well, what else am I into? Oh, music. I said, I started like getting into making music more seriously towards the end of high school. Okay. So and then by the time like high school kind of was done, it was like the art thing was kind of like, it became second. I mean, I still do art, like, right? but it's usually to benefit music stuff, like doing art, like a, t-shirt designed for one of the bands or something like that. I was like always 
I was convinced with the idea that you had like when I was in high school for some reason I was convinced with the idea that you had like a lane like that magically you were good at this and if you just picked an arena like for some, somehow like the genetics and the lived experience of a human being would magically line up with one of these categories of social like art or social influence and and I was like I'm a music guy so I never really pursued visual art I kind of shied away from it and then as I did music further into my adult life, into my early 20s and my mid-20s, I had to do so much art for myself just to supplement my music. And now I'm like really interested in it. And I make a lot of like, I feel, I feel like I mask my perceived inadequacy at art with vulgarity. So I'm making memes about like <laughs> shitting your pants or like my, my big hit at the start of my page was like, if you want to buy a gun, you should have to do DMT right there in front of the salesperson. <laughs> and I was just like, let's make the guns really shiny. Let's make it look like you're on DMT. Let's add the Slayer and the Slayer and the Slayer. But um, I've been doing like doodles and stuff more recently. I've been trying to find ways to to put them out there too and like – even softly like ask for feedback a little bit. It's so funny because I've made myself a beginner at so many different kinds of art, especially art that relates to music over and over again. And you'd think by now I'd be like comfortable being like, this is a brand new thing I'm doing. I know I suck at it. I'm ready to get better at it, but I'm not. I still feel like that first time butterflies every time. Um, I'm getting better at like handling that feeling, I guess, but in the moment I still can't get over it. A lot. And visual art's super intimidating for me. That's like trying to speak the the amount of Spanish that I have left coherently. It's just I'm not I feel like I'm lost, you know. Yeah. I feel like with me now, visual art's one of the rare things that I can do that I don't overthink. Okay. You know, as like typically any of the visual art that I'm making is pretty mindless stuff, just like cartoon character, fun color. Right. Just like it's whatever. You know what I mean? I'm not trying to no, that's it's awesome, not. It's not though. like some fucking statement, like right. like like a, like a like a song that I'm doing, where it's like, you know, is that the right way to phrase these thoughts that I'm trying <laughs> to put out into the world? You know, it's like, no, this is a fucking, this is a, a drawing of a ketchup bottle. Yeah, like, no, or that's some awesome, bullshit. Though. And it's good to have. Um, there's like an intersection of how much pressure you're putting on yourself versus the amount of comfortability you have with your skill and with like the subject material. And it's cool that that like lives at such a, a comfortable and fluid like spot for you. I feel that way in a lot of, in a lot of ways with like drumming. Um, I don't, it's hardly the thing that I'm the most active at doing, but it's the thing that I've just like, I dedicated so, so, so much time to doing it and I've been doing it on and off and on and off every time I return to it by now, it's just like being, you know, it's like riding a bicycle. Sure. Uh, to put it to put it simply, I suppose. Um, I hope to get that way with a lot of stuff. You know, as I get on in years, I, I worry because a lot of people, I think, stop being adventurous with developing their skills and talents as they get older, and I'm terrified that I'm going to do that. Yeah. Uh, and I'm super pessimistic, so uh -huh. <laughs> I'm extra extra terrified. But um, you know, honestly, I don't think that I will. I'm I'm too curious. It's funny, like right now, um, with the psych stuff. I'm just finishing up the new album. Finally, it's taken a very long time just because of distractions in life. Mm -hmm. But like anything that I've ever put out, like I've mixed the project. I've done you know pretty much everything, yeah. right? And I'm still like, oh, I don't know if this sounds right. Mm -hmm. You know, like, but like oh, I yeah. think like a big part of it now is like over the years the technology to like, you know, produce your own music is so much more accessible than oh, yeah. it was like 10 years ago. 
So I feel like it's really easy for people to put out good quality stuff with the stuff that they have because a lot of the stuff that I'm still using is stuff that I was using 10 years ago. Yeah. Like I don't really buy new music gear. You know, it's funny because like um, I was reading an interview with Mike Paradinas who makes music as Mew, like the, the Mew symbol, Zik, and he does um, a lot of other stuff. And he was talking about working with Aphex Twin and being near Aphex Twin. And um, they asked him, they were like, Aphex Twin uses a lot of old hardware and he still works on the vintage stuff that he's been working on since the 90s. Like, do you do that? He's like, no, I have a laptop with Ableton Live and Pro Tools. And I really mostly don't even record synthesizers or plug in USB controllers anymore. Like, I can just sequence things and I can just set it up all in the box. Um, And it just, it was such a highlight for me because his music still sounds like, he makes it on that old equipment. It sounds like it belongs right next door to Aphex Twins. And uh, I'm really process-driven when I come. it comes to my approach about art, and it blows my mind that you can let your process evolve so drastically over the years, and you can still maintain such a signature sound. Like when I hear Mike Paradinas, I recognize it immediately. I was at my friend's house recently, and they were playing um, the newest music album. I forget what it's called. It's got some watercolor cover and i just heard this one like he he does this thing with synthesizers where it goes and he leaves the glide off until he hits the last note and then he resolves on it and i was like that's music is this the new mike paradinas record so um i forgot what i was talking about but uh <laughs> <laughs> well we were i was just talking about like my not like really like adapting to too much new technology i mean i have new stuff i do do stuff on my laptop as well as like my desktop but for the most part a lot of the stuff that i still write on is like the same stuff that i've been working with forever and i think that it's more or less i'm not against technology Mm -hmm. i like making pieces on like just fully laptop like you know just open up machina and work in it for hours but like it just doesn't feel the same as like with me and hardware i don't know Cause like, I guess like when I'm working on something on my laptop, it's still like, oh, there's like a Facebook notification that pops mm-hmm. up or something weird, you know. Whereas if I'm just in front of a beat machine, like, You're just there's jamming. not going to be a fucking Facebook notification that pops up. And I'm also kind of limited to what's inside that box. Whereas on the laptop, it's like endless possibilities. Which and is if I don't, ha- and if I don't have a fucking sound, it's like, well, I can go fucking download this sound or find this fucking thing mm-hmm. somewhere. Which is cool, but it also sometimes having those restraints mm-hmm. uh, helps the creativity. Because you might spend, at least me, I'll spend a lot of time just like picking out sounds and tweaking and tweaking and tweaking until right. I'm brain dead before I've actually made anything. Yeah. Well, I do that all the time. I'll try to start a song and I'll end up just making a synthesizer that I'll like and I'll like <laughs> save it to my library and I'll be like, save that patch. And then I'm like, I'll make a sandwich now. There's no song coming out of this today. (laughs) Uh, But it's funny, like, um, I've always done everything pretty much entirely in the box in Ableton. Uh, And that was the way that I learned. Uh, Shout out to Lena, who taught me how to do that with her college education that I basically stole. uh, That she was (laughs) patient enough to show me how to steal. Um, And... I was really into jungle and drum and bass then. And basically everything I made was like jungle and drum and bass inspired. And now I've lowered my tempo 10 BPM to 160 for footwork. And that's like all 
pretty much everything that I make right now. And I feel like the that's like almost a way that I've tried to get that same feeling of limitation where instead of just like, oh, I can literally record any noise and use it or I can make any synthesizer noise I want. I'm saying like, let's find some of the fundamental tenets of an already kind of crystallized style and then see if I can put my own spin on them and see if I can do something original. And usually putting my own spin on them means putting my favorite video game noises in them. <laughs> and instead of flipping like a jazz fusion song, I find a jazz fusion E song from the wild arm soundtrack and then I flip it. Uh, and then it, it yeah. makes my theme complete, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. I feel like I have a coherent thing going on, but that's cool. And like, I see a lot of people um, like in particular, uh, C. Scott when he's making beats and he posts something he just uses like a little I don't even know what it's called he just uses like a little beat machine and he has other pieces of hardware but I've never existed in a strictly hardware environment making electronic music and I'm really interested to see what would happen if I did the closest that I've ever come is like playing uh, a Roland electronic drum kit that had like some capabilities for looping and yeah. other stuff like that but yeah I love having the the laptop's great for like it's like a like a beat sketchbook mm-hmm. is like essentially what I use Machina as now because you have unlimited memory right and you know not unlimited but yeah you know I have a 500 gig hard drive in my laptop I don't have 500 gigs in any of these beat machines no, I can tell you, you that I don't even know if there's one probably <laughs> uh, so you know like the memory's a lot more limited and uh, but so it's cool being able to like do a lot of stuff on the go too because I'm not always at home right now. Uh, so that helps a lot too, just being able to have those ideas for things. And Machina is great for sampling. It's a lot more intuitive than anything else that I have. Yeah, that's the main thing that I really like about Ableton is if there's a sample or like um, a sound that I want to flip or incorporate into a song, the possibilities for stretching that audio around or generating sounds with it are really endless. But like I've often thought something that I'd really like to do is start just building sample packs out of these affected sounds and then loading them into some kind of piece of hardware. I do have a Roland um uh nine pad electronic um it's just a drum pad. It's like one of the yeah. ones. I don't remember TC something model and it's really great. You can do quite a bit on it. You could play a whole DJ set on it if you got a little bit um creative and I've I just recently set up my my little home studio. I have uh, my laptop with Ableton and then an 11 rack and then my Roland drum pad uh, and a guitar plugged in, and that's basically it. I got to get uh, a, a microphone over there pretty soon. And I'll yeah, be, I'll be all set. I have a I have a meme page. Okay, so I have a bunch of meme pages, and <laughs> one of them is called "I Listen to Wizard Rifle on My 18 Speed, Eat Jerk Chicken, and Cuss Online." And that one blew up really fast. And then my buddy who runs a bunch of meme pages invited me to be part of his meme collective. And then in the group chat for that meme collective, he was like, do you want to start a page that's called Beep Beep Lettuce that's just weed jokes? <laughs> I was like, it's the only thing I've ever wanted to do. Uh, and so <laughs> we did that. And I've mentioned it to them a couple times. And the other admins don't seem that gassed on it. But I want to record an album called Beep Beep Lettuce and release it as the page that's just like a stoner metal album. But instead of being like, you know, proceeds the weedy in or like any of these like actually epic sounding weed metaphors, we just say sh- things like I smonked a beeple shrub and like all of these dumb idiotic words for weed. And sure. And, and we'll see, you know, 
we'll, we'll see if anybody gives half a shit about it or if it's my if it's my post that gets one share. Uh-huh. And that's me. me so like it. this would actually be kind of an interesting segue into, you know, social media politics and, you know, uh, as somebody that has, you know, I think that you've been on all of the dynamics more than the the average person in terms of like social media posting because yeah. you know you are involved with these meme pages. I'm a hyperactive shit poster. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and at the same time, like you have like you know bands that you have mm-hmm. maybe promoted stuff for, and yeah. like your personal page, and then I'm sure now like with NX, yeah. you're going to be probably involved in that, and like the you know what how is like. 2018 the world of social media like where do you see it going and like what what are the differences that you see between like just like shit posting meme stuff or like trying to like genuinely like promote like a business that is legitimate well they're unified in a weird way right now and what our economy is doing to them is it's making them if you want to i don't know how to connect this i have a friend who made so many memes so fast and he got so popular that now he just ghost writes weed memes for like dispensaries and like recreational places out in California. He ghost writes memes for them and then he just gets paid on a per meme basis. And that's some like weird gig economy. It's, it's just 2018 so- shouldn't exist shit. Um, <laughs> yeah. People are like flying cars and we're like, no, pay per meme weed memes. <laughs> That's the Jetsons you you deserve, not the one you asked for. Uh, and it's it's just weird. Uh, we hired um, uh, a social media company, a burgeoning one that's based out of Pittsburgh, uh, called Ten Four Media. They do the the social media for Enix, and they do an exceptionally good job. Uh, they we're so much better off with them than we would be with me just like putting text on a copy bar like this copy bar drinks annex beer and then you <laughs> photoshop a little beer in his mouth people i mean people would like that i like that now that i've just thought of it but uh, <laughs> and we'll see if i can't get that snuck onto the page but um you know you you want to have consistent promo- promotion you want to have things that like reach out and 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 make the community feel comfortable and make them feel like you're an institution that's not going to go crazy on them. And so I have kind of tried to develop a little bit of a soft divide between where I'm at as like, so when I'm being serious about art or something on my page, that's like one tone that I try to take. And when I'm just shit posting, that's another, I try to separate it by color. Like you should know from how the post feels, how I'm trying to be. But I mean, that's, that's maybe giving my audience and especially myself, uh, way too much credit for being able to see around corners or be able to instill that much secondhand information in a or post like, on Facebook. Assume that people are smarter yeah, they are. I don't know, man. And, and maybe I, I like to think that people are smarter than generally we all expect them to be. People just have themselves convinced that they're kind of dumb. And I do it to myself all the time. You know, you lose your keys. You're like, God, I'm so dumb. And but uh, social media is is weird because it brings the dumb and the angry out of us, too, because we're we're in a position of piloting this digital version of ourself around, but we can't interact in a phenomenological way with each other, we can only, or in like a physical way with each other, we can only just influence through these little pieces of text. 
And I remember when I first started getting really active, like just posting my dumb thoughts online and people were like, wow, I love your content. Ha, this is so funny. And I was just like, I literally just kind of opened the floodgates on the stuff that I say to myself in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, what if I was shameless and, and silly enough to share these online and, and people love it. And it's, it's weird. Cause like you get to meet people that you've only ever known online. Like when my band went to Allentown, we met this really amazing dude named Dan Lishner who was brewing his own beer. And he, he gave us the hookup on the best Mexican spot in town. And it was, we ate there and it was incredible. And, um, I've had a lot of experiences like that. There were people, I was at a show in Boston and a guy named Fen Macon showed up and I, he introduced himself and I was like, you're one of the people who's always liking my posts. I, we've been friends since I don't know when, I don't know how we got to be friends, but you're so great. Thank you for being here to see us. And like, that's weird and cool. So I feel like in a lot of ways, remember in the early two thousands when there would be these think piece articles in like wired and, um, popular science and stuff. And it's like the social arrangements of the future. What, what being a friend is going to look like when we all have cameras here everywhere, like whatever our naive ideas were going to be of like yeah. what, what eventually coalesced into these bricks in our pocket that we use for everything. <laughs> and, um, and they were so funny. They were like, you're not going to feel any privacy and you're, you're going to feel crazy about whether or not you can still connect with people on a human level. And we were all like, that's a hugely dumb thing to say. And fast forward, like not even 20 years. And I feel that way all the time. And people are like, oh, you must feel so comfortable on, on Facebook. And I, I don't use Instagram. I don't use Twitter hardly at all. I don't use Tumblr. I haven't used Reddit since I was on 4chan, which is, you know, I'm basically just on Facebook. And they're like, you must feel so comfortable on Facebook. I'm like, no, I'm just as ill at ease as I am anywhere else. Um, and I am. I mean, uh, I have a lot of great things going on for me right now, but I'm, I'm very worried about the state of the country, the world, you know, et cetera. If you read my shit posts, you know that I'm an anarchist. Anarchists hate everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of the ones who actually reads theory. Yeah. Earlier, you know, you had mentioned you'd, you'd brought up, that stuff and, you know, mentioned some authors and mm. things. And a lot of it was just like way over my head. Like I was, I don't know what you're talking about. And like, there's, it's funny because sometimes uh, you know, obviously we're, we've, we're friends on social media and mm -hmm. stuff and you make posts and like, sometimes I read your posts and I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I, it's, I'm just, I'm like so removed and it's like, shit, like this sounds really important. But I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. It could be. I, mean, <laughs> like, <and laughs> one, I think one of the most important things about at least the way that I analyze the situation is like I don't need everybody to be on board with exactly the background or exactly the like literature or the the thinkers that I'm coming from. I just want people to grasp the basic idea uh, that like shit is weird and wrong right now. There's a lot of like weird and wrong stuff going on, especially as somebody who grew up, I was a kid in the nineties public school told me that like racism was over. If it wasn't, it was almost over. Like things were getting better. The economy would probably just get better forever. Don't worry about it. There's no housing issues. There's like my parents, the, the boomers and the gen X told me they're like, everything's going to be fine. Just clutch tight to this. And so paradoxically, even though I would love to like tear America down, like right down to its base and just build it anew. Um, there's also this part of me that wants to like hold every politician and hold every public figure to the absurd stand or to the level of absurdity 
that I think their standard represents on paper. Like if we if we're a representative democracy, let's ask for everything from our representatives until they represent us one to one, until our 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 needs are met. 100%. And and that's every person in the United States. You know, if I have to worry about somebody in Arizona, and it's everybody in the world more than that. I don't know why I limit it to the United States. Habit, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it, I don't know. That's really just where I'm coming from. And like, I think people of most stripes can appreciate that, you know, you're more progressive liberals, you're social Democrats, you're, uh, you can even win over. Sometimes I try to win over libertarians just for fun. It doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> But you know they're impressionable. They're still mostly sixteen. Uh. <laughs> sure, it, it's 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 hard to it's it's hard to you know change somebody's opinion on something. You know, I think that you ever like get into an argument with somebody over like a band mm-hmm. or like over like what is the best taco oh, yeah. place? I, I, I like if a- you can't convince somebody about like a taco place, how are you gonna convince them that like? Their worldview is somehow wrong. <laughs> exactly. I made a I made a post on one of my meme pages. It was a butt rock alignment chart, and in the chaotic good spot, I put system of a down, and it was just four hundred fucking comments. System of a down is not a butt rock band. System of a down is a good band. They are not butt rock. And I'm like, look, I like system of a down. I put them in the chaotic good spot because I like them. They are a butt rock band. <laughs> yeah. So the, I think that there's definitely they're on that. The fringe of a lot of people that like who were some of the other bands on your on the on the uh, chart? Chaotic yeah, Evil was Seether. Okay, uh, I had um, Bush was Neutral Good. Um, I had Nickelback was Neutral Evil. But yeah, I mean, well, I don't think it's that far off base that like a good percentage of people that genuinely like Nickelback probably like some System of a Down yeah. too. I, it I know. carries System over. System of a Down has that that super wide appeal, but even though they kind of transcended a lot of that new metal and like alternative rock crowd that they were in, they were still in it. Like they still had a lot of the trappings. Yeah, of I think it. that I feel like a lot of things with System of a Down was time and place. I feel like because new metal was where it was, mm-hmm. it allowed them to become successful. I don't yep. think they would have done well in any other time frame yeah probably not it just wouldn't have clicked they just happened to kind of luck out with that time and place yeah well and i mean they really were so good and i like a lot of new metal too i mean like i like slipknot yeah iowa is a really great album but like um it's just uh it's funny the pushback that you get in the weird corners of opinion like not even is system of a down good but like are they a butt rock band i i was at a show trying to make that chart and i had people asking me what is butt rock and i'm just like you ever meet somebody who calls pop soda or whatever the uh, whatever the thing you don't call it is they call it the other thing and you're like wow crazy world out there and i was like people don't know what butt rock is (laughs) Uh how can we you know how how do you wake up in the morning how do you make breakfast not knowing what butt rock is uh that's the glue that holds my life together listening to stone temple pilots at two in the morning uh is knowing that it's it's butt grunge Okay, butt grunge. <laughs> <laughs> and that was my my introduction to butt rock was butt grunge. Um, as most of us. Yeah, as most of us, I think. And they were asking, like, is Pearl Jam butt rock? And I was like, mm-hmm. Pearl Jam is dad butt. They're like dad <laughs> ascendant grunge that's butt adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> 
totally. So I think that, you know, one thing that you seem to have figured out that a lot of people have a hard time figuring out is like, it's okay to like make fun of yourself, <laughs> you know? And like, and, you better be able to. And it's okay to be like, just because like, like, yeah, like System of a Down is a butt rock band, <laughs> but I, I like System of a Down a lot. And that's yeah. okay. Like, it's okay. Like, you know, hey, like, I like shitty music and I like shitty food. I had a, and I had a give me a fucking the, break. Oh, shitty food. Don't get me started on shitty food. I'll just inhale Hormel chili <laughs> right out of the can. People were like, somebody told me they were like, they switched half of their beef over to TVP. And I was like, oh shit, this is half vegetarian. It's slightly healthier. <laughs> I don't care. I'm yeah. eating it regardless. I'm hoovering that shit down regardless. And shitty music. That's funny too. Cause like, I've always felt guilty about liking this band or that band. I had a, a guilty pleasures playlist on my Google Play Music for a long time and it's like Tracy Chapman, Bare Naked Ladies, um Natalie Merchant, Alanis Moore, like stuff that my mom listened to. It's a in collection the of like, like good pop rock. Yeah, I know. And now it's just called good ass songs. <laughs> no longer guilty pleasures. <laughs> just good ass songs. And you gotta embrace it a little bit. You gotta just let yourself like things. Yeah, no, I think the idea of the guilty pleasures completely ridiculous oh god yeah it's so absurd it is well and like i don't know I, i'm filled with anxiety a lot of the time i worry about what people think of me but i also like i felt like i fell down a hole for a long time of trying to sublate that anxiety by being like none of this matters this is all just like a big joke and now that i'm older i'm like well if it's all a big joke it should be a slightly heartwarming one it should be something that makes us like feel better or feel like we want to be better at the very least. Like, I don't want this to just be all some, a lot of people rail against postmodernism. I like postmodernism. I just don't want it to be empty. I just don't want it to be the kind of pointless kind that's like, none of this matters. And I want it to be the kind that's like, well, if it doesn't matter, pick something that you think matters, go out, construct a meaning for it and, and, and embrace it. And you, you know, just because your the emotions that you feel or the warmth that you feel or the success that you feel because of it maybe doesn't have a cosmic significance doesn't mean that you're still not we have an animalistic attachment to our world we need to feel gratification we need to feel warmth and the the knowledge that the people around us are going to take care of us or you know whatever and people are like dishonest about those needs or they like mask it with insincerity. And I, I come from a culture of making online art and online posts that falls prey to that all the time. And just, I want to be, I want my, sh I want to shit post for good. You know, sure. <laughs> I want to use my forces for good. Um, and I want to encourage other people to, to realize that just because you're like joking about yourself or getting down on yourself, that's not, that doesn't mean that you're just being complacent and letting yourself live there. That's you kind of prodding yourself. It's you being your own cheerleader a little bit and just being like, you have to get going. You have to be a little bit better version of yourself. Because when I started taking my art more seriously and I stopped kind of living in this world of like, well, if it doesn't matter or like, I'll just do it just to do it. And like, I've been trying to make more meaningful connections. I've been trying to make more interpersonal connections and use art as a social tool and realize that even my dumb posting is art, even the like visual art that I pull out of my ass well, sure, in eight seconds. That's still something that I'm handing art, off to the world. You know, to me is like something that starts a conversation. Yeah. You know, like if, you know, what is bad art? Bad art is that is like somebody put like you. I'm talking bad. 
to me, I find bad art to be whenever I'm presented with something and it doesn't, I don't question it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not even like a, like, how can somebody make something this bad? You know, that's still <laughs> art. Like, how can you make, okay, like, yeah. this is interesting to me. You yeah. know what I mean? Like a Tommy Wiseau room type oh, thing. Oh, yeah. But if you just put something out and like, because I get, art comes across my path. Like, you know, sometimes some music comes across my way and I, I feel nothing. Like, it just seems like yeah. there was no, like, genuine reason that this was made aside from some weird selfish fantasy that you, I want to make a song. Yeah, right. Uh, but I mean, it was, it's like, very, detached from the idea of actually making, like, a gratifying yeah, song. Yeah, it's very, I mean, knows. it's very nuanced between, like, every individual circumstance of what you could talk about. But, that, like, if you're able to start a conversation, even if it's something that took you, you know, 10 seconds to do and it's, like, mm-hmm. a jokey meme, that's still art if it's creating dialogue yeah. between humans and furthering the culture. My most shared meme to date, I think it's got like a little over 4,000 shares right now. It's just a picture of John Lennon and it says, imagine there's no heaven. Now imagine there is a heaven and it's a place where you can kick John Lennon's ass. Uh, <laughs> and that really started a conversation. And a lot of people were like talking about their Beatles and they're like, I can't smack talk the Beatles because my parents. And I'm like, what? This is so personal. I'm like reading through these comments and people are like, you know, like clown on them with your page. And I'm like, I'm not going to clown on these people. <laughs> having an honest conversation on my jokey-ass meme. But you also made me think of something else. Things that are so bad that they're just worth checking out for that reason alone. What's your favorite one? Because I have a favorite one for sure. Uh, I actually haven't seen The Room, so maybe that's my favorite one and I just don't know yet. (laughs) Oh, Um, like just anything in general? What's something that's just so corny and clowny that you love it? Oh, wow. I would really have to think about that. Um, Because... I don't know, like Totino's party pizzas. Hell fucking yeah. Hell fucking yeah. I'll never <laughs> like, give up on those. Like, like they're like, I know they're not good, <laughs> but like, they're so great. Like, and they feel like party time. <laughs> yeah. They're, the, it's, they're solid. Uh, like I, you know, I love bad food and I always have, and I like good food too. Yeah. But I do appreciate the, I don't know. I just, uh, I think it just like reminds me of like kind of where I came from yeah. in a way. And like, it's very nostalgic. A lot of these weird things that I have, mm-hmm. like I have very nostalgic memories with like the Lipton pasta sides where every time <laughs> yeah. I make one of those things, I remember being like a kid and practicing yo-yo tricks in my bedroom. <laughs> Cause like, I don't, I guess there was like this time where like, I've always been really into routines Yeah, and there was this weird thing where I guess another thing that's so bad that I can, I will never give up is like the Mortal Kombat movies. Yes. Uh, but like there was a Mortal They're Kombat terrible. live action TV show. On USA. Okay. It was like over 30 episodes. It's called Mortal Kombat Conquest. Okay. Oh, it's bad, but I love (laughs) it. But Mortal Kombat Conquest would come on USA and I would, my mom like was a bartender, so she was never around, but I would make one of those pasta side things and I would watch Mortal Kombat and practice my fucking yo-yo tricks. Yeah. That's right there. (laughs) And like now every time like I watch Mortal Kombat Conquest, it's like, man, like I need some of those shitty like beef flipped inside noodles mm-hmm. and a fucking yo-yo. Yeah, man. That's like um, <laughs> me and my friend uh, Lena, when we were growing up, we would always play Gauntlet Dark Legacy and listen to this terrible, terrible 80s band from Canada called Frozen Ghosts. Okay. Frozen Ghost? 
Frozen Ghosts, something like that. And there was another band called Pretty Maids that was also on the mix CD your dad gave us. Uh, and so now I can't play Gauntlet Dark Legacy without singing these terrible, terrible 80s songs. I don't even like, like I genuinely don't even like, but they're so implanted in my memory as being um, attached to this that I catch myself like singing them and jamming out. They don't match the music of the game. I had a, I had a really, uh, you ever like go back to something from your childhood that you really liked and it's just, it doesn't hold up and you don't want to (laughs) admit that it doesn't hold up. Uh, it happened really recent to recently to me with, uh, that Mudvayne LD 50 album. Okay. (laughs) I, you know, I held that album in such high regard. (laughs) I defended it in bullshit arguments Yeah, yeah. and not super, super long ago. Um, I pulled my old CD booklet out and we threw it in the car and me and Stacy were driving. I was like, put on a CD mud vein. Hell yeah. yeah. So I threw it in and I was like, man, like this first track's not so good. <laughs> and then it keeps, you know, I'm like, wow, like this album just, <laughs> I, I'm having a hard time defending this album. It's really not that good. That's too funny. Mud vein turned into a, they turned into a, a decent band, butt rock. Yeah. Yeah. They went from new metal to butt rock. Yeah. New metal right into that, but <laughs> right in that butt pocket. Yeah. It sucked but, uh, up so yeah, many bands. But I, you know, I, I still, I'm never gonna be the type of person that tries to act like, oh, I didn't love that growing up. Right. I was that kind of person for a long time. I feel like I only outgrew that in the last few years here, where I started to just maybe meeting enough people in the music scene who like unabashedly held on to their love of old things. They're like, yeah, it sucks. I love it anyway. It's so great. And like. That really inspired me to just be like, yeah, I do like bad grunge rock. Yeah, I do want to eat Hot Pockets all day yeah. and, and play the same five video games over and over again. And like, that's okay because it's okay to have your comforts and like whatever you grew up around is probably going to be that. Like, there's a reason that my grandma would just watch Steel Magnolias all the time. She just <laughs> felt comfortable watching Steel Magnolias and there wasn't Netflix. Yeah. So it's just like. Uh, it's crazy, but my favorite super shitty thing that's so shitty that I love to watch it is called Lex. It's a science fantasy or really space fantasy, uh, show. It's very sexual. It's very adult. Don't show it to kids. It's super corny. Um, Tim Curry is in it for just like a second in the beginning of the second season, just lets you know what kind of arena it's in. It's a lot of like poorly translated stage to screen stuff. The cast is all either Canadian or German because that was the bridging of the production companies. And so everybody's accents are Canadian or German and it's very overacted. It's very like they all wear, you know, space clothes and, um, it's just so shitty and bad and terrible, and I love it. And in the third season, they go to these twin planets called Fire and Ice that are clearly fire and water that are clearly heaven and hell. And there's this devil character named Prince, and he's got like a lip piercing, and it's just like he's in frosted tips. Oh my god, it's so great! You gotta watch it. Uh, Lex, I've, yeah, Lex with two X's, so you know of course. it's sexy. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's my favorite like thing to watch once I'm like mindless, once I've had a little bit too much weed and a little bit too many, a few too many beers. Um, that's I watch that and I watch Twelve Ounce Mouse, and my girlfriend hates both of them. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 yeah, it's all right. She watches all kinds of great stuff. She her her comfort shows are Weeds and Orange Is the New Black. So okay, that's TV I can get behind. I like watching those shows. Yeah. So. I've I've watched some Orange is the New Black. Stacy watches it. I've never watched Weeds. 
Weeds um, is good. Uh, I, the ending, the last few seasons of it, I just feel like they just kept writing the show for no reason. Like they could have ended, and they were just like, "No, we have some pile of scripts. <laughs> they all must be filmed." Sure, uh, but it, it's good. It's good television. So she gets she gets mad sometimes because I'll just like merci- mercilessly roast shows, and then I'm like, "You should watch me watch my shows." <laughs> like I I just recently rewatched. Um, uh, Fuck Inuyasha. Okay, and uh, that was a good, good blend of not holding up and legitimately being propelled through a viewing of something by nostalgia because it really it brings back waves and waves of nostalgia. That was like the first thing, uh, you know, after Pokemon and everything that made me start to like think like anime was really cool. Made me go to the young adult section at my local library and check out the Nausicaa manga. Yeah, and all these other things. So. Uh, yeah, rewatching that was like a really cool. It was it was a good good spot for the uncanny valley of like this is shitty and like this is great. Like if that's an uncanny or just like a meeting point. Yeah, I mean that's how I feel like about all that old Mortal Kombat stuff. Uh, I mean, plenty of movies like Bill and Ted. Mm-hmm. Those movies are shitty but great. Shitty but great. I love them. Oh, you know. Uh, I don't know. I feel like my life's just full of shitty but great things. <laughs> I've been listening to a whole lot of Rammstein recently. Yeah, Rammstein! Shitty but great. <laughs> Industrial metal is one of the funniest genres of metal to me because you really gotta, you buy into it, man. You gotta do the thing. But I like I like genres of music where you do the thing. I like stoner metal because you do the thing. I like footwork because footwork DJs are very about footworking and the dance and the culture and everything that goes along to it. That's why I like drum and bass and jungle because mm-hmm. like people who are into like jungleist DJ culture are just really into it. And that's, I think that's funny that I get into things that are like that because I never get a hundred percent into one thing. I'm always like three months later, I'm like, what's this other really cool thing I could yeah. be hopping so on. So you think that you would be like seeking out more like wacky all over the place stuff yep. versus stuff that's super focused. Yeah. And I like, I like the art that comes from super focused artists, but, uh, maybe it's just me. I'm like, so all over the board. I like to kind of go shotgun approach with my art, which is maybe counterproductive, well, I but think that it's gratifying. I think so. I can relate with that because I think sometimes system of a down isn't an exception to this, but a lot of the times when you have art that is like genre defying, right? Mm-hmm. It's really just kind of like bad songwriting yeah. that's just glued together. It's like, oh, it's wacky. And yeah, it's like, right. okay, well, this is like a not coherent like composition. Yeah. Like, sure, it's like fun to listen to, but it's like, you know, like I wanna I'm riding a roller coaster went from a steel track to a wooden track to a steel mm-hmm. track. It's like this is a bumpy ride, it's not comfortable. Yep. And that's um it's funny because like I feel like a lot of the artists that influence me to make what I felt was like hyper experimental, like super off the wall music. Like when I was a kid and still to this day in a lot of ways, Beck was my favorite artist. Sure. And he's so all over the board, but when you strip away all of the production and all of the like weird samples and all of the like bizarro lyricism, he's writing a lot of like very traditional singer songwritery songs. He's, he's using a lot of like, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, arrangements and he's he always finds something that ties it all back to home and makes it feel less alien and that's that's really where you have the most fertile space to do alien shit 
on top of it with to make your laser sounds and to say beefcake pantyhose and to just, you know, whatever it is that you do that makes it weird. Um, And, I mean, if you want to be Sonic Youth, get out there and be Sonic Youth. If you want to be Swans, get out there and be Swans. Challenge people's boundaries. You know, if you want to be Primus, be Primus. But um, I think that a lot of the greatest art gets made when you have a balance between, like, that strong foundation and pop sensibility or, or something that brings it home with a lot of people. And then you get weird with it on top of that. I mean, isn't that why gorillas is so incredibly popular? They're bizarre, but they're widely, widely beloved. They, I mean, demon days is multiple platinum. Sure. Something like that. I'm it's sure. crazy. There's an MF doom verse on a platinum album. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what, yeah. what did you do gorillas? How did you do that? I, um, I think that it goes back to what I brought up earlier about like how art should start a conversation. Right. Mm hmm. And I think the more people that convert, like the more people you can get involved in that conversation is what makes art great. Yeah. So if you're able to create something that gets a lot of people talking and a lot of people can feel like they're involved in the conversation that this art is perpetuating, that's going to make a really great piece of, you know, history. Yeah. Versus like some things that are cool, like a, like a pig destroyer album, right? You know, get some people talking, but it, it, it tips off at some point. Yep, and it doesn't. And I'm not. It doesn't like devalue Pig Destroyer at all. No, but it, it's all. like you know. There's only so much like. It's it's like a very limited amount of things, like mm-hmm. the, a limited amount of people that can really engage that conversation. Yeah, that can understand it. Well, and you're telling me. I mean, I played in predominantly math rock inspired bands for a lot of years, and you want to talk about trying to carve out a niche. It's oh yeah. Like, even in a city that has a history of math rock bands like Pittsburgh does, it's still weird. And like a lot of people don't know what to, for every one person that comes up to you at the end of your set and is like, that's crazy. I've never heard anything like that before. You got five people who are like, I might go get a beer during this set at the downstairs bar or like, sure. you know, I've, I've cleared rooms before with my, with my drumming just as often as I've gotten them whooping and hollering and well, prob- probably I, more often. I was... At a at a bottle share beer thing yesterday, and I was talking with people about, um, I think a big issue with beer or music or any any type of art or you're creating things. I think a lot of people don't want to think about art when they're digesting it. You know, a lot of people aren't going into a artistic experience or a show with like the oh I want to be challenged. Yeah. They're just like, I want to be entertained. Yep. And a challenge is not entertaining for a lot of people. It's actually, there's a very small amount of people that find a challenge <laughs> entertaining, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, that comes across with a lot of beers, you know, where it's like, oh, like you go to a brewery that has, you know, 10 IPAs on draft. Mm-hmm. There's nothing to think about. And they do well, but, you yeah. know, there's, there's no challenge there. It's mm-hmm. just like, okay, you can get. This, idea this, 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 yeah. this, or you, you go to a show and it's like, oh, here's a, an indie band, an indie band, an indie band, an indie band. And then I play yeah. a set and it's yeah, like, right. oh, what the fuck is that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm, like, I'm not one weird beer on the tap list. Yep. Well, that's always nice too. I feel like, and when I'm at a show and there's a couple of bands that are more what I'm expecting. And then there's one band that's just like really weird. It can be a good blend because then if the really weird band kind of falls on their face with that crowd, you have something to fall back on. But then if the really weird band ends up being like a gem, then they can really shine without 
because I don't know, I've booked shows and I've been to shows that are like just three really weird ass bands playing together. You can't keep people at those shows. You get weird music fatigue. Uh, just like I, I don't want to drink three fruited sours in a row. <laughs> I think a lot of it too is just making sure that like you don't put yourself above people if mm-hmm. you're doing weird things. Yeah. And I think there are sometimes people that they're playing a show where they're outside of their element. And I've seen artists do this where it's like they, they kind of, you know, like that I'm going to scoff at the crowd. I'm going to be better than you type of thing. Yeah, and I think and it's more of like that. a, no, like put on your, you know, your, your charm mm-hmm. and like, Hey, like you know, this is a little funny and weird what we're doing here, but Hey, let's, but thank you for having me. Yeah. And, uh, let's do it. Yeah. That was always like, uh, high def was the band that I got the best results with, with the math rock stuff. And I think that was because when we were writing the songs for high def, it was just like, even though it was math, it was supposed to be fun. Every time there were supposed to be guitar riffs or like parts where we stop and look at each other and look at the crowd where it's just like a show. We want you to be in on this joke of like this song's parts don't make sense. And like, um, I have a vivid memory of when I was in high school, we had this keyboard player, a piano player who was a couple grades above me. He was brilliant. He was a self-taught jazz pianist. His name was Blake Harrison. And he would play, just kind of on the piano as everybody was trickling into class and uh, he would do stuff as people were walking around and like make musical humor, but without singing or saying any words, he would just accentuate things with like melodies and rhythms and stuff. And I always thought that that was really cool and really funny. Uh, And then the singer in my very first band when I was in high school, Ducky Ducky, when we all had to go around and put our musical influences on the MySpace page, uh, (laughs) his, his first influence for his songwriting was the Simpsons. And I was like, that's what you want. You want it to be like this engaging and this fun thing. So whenever I've been writing songs, I've always been like, what's the part of this song that's going to make someone's head turn and be like, what was that? What was that part where, where, where they did something crazy or like, what's, you know, when you listen to a song that has that guitar lick that you just can't not air guitar along to, Mm -hmm. What do I write that makes my pieces feel like that? Because um, that's the part of the song that makes people want to be engaged. If you want people to listen to your narrative or your crazy chord sure. progression that you came up with hooks. or whatever it is. Yeah, you're, yeah, you got to have hooks. you got to have things that scoop people up and into the music. I think it's really important. Hooks are overlooked. That rhymed. That could be it. Hooks are overlooked. A- yeah, that's our, that's, our new, that's our new banger. Hooks <laughs> overlooked. Yeah, just, you got to just break it down. Just two words, just two <laughs> word choruses. People love those. You know what else I really love? I love songs that not. I love songs that have like two choruses. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Like they give you that back to back. Like you know, hit like the you, chorus and then there's a post chorus and then every time you do the both of them, yeah, you really feel like you're on a roller coaster. <laughs> yeah, it's so gratifying, especially too if there's like a good like key change between them mm-hmm. or like just like a weird like rhythm like a dynamic shift yep where it's like all oh, these two like really catchy awesome parts that are just like yeah like that's how you fucking structure a goddamn mm-hmm. song and that's then you it bring feels, it back yeah. around it sounds so simple but like it's also like what kind of shit were you on to even think of this yeah right well i i feel like i do that when i'm trying to write something that i think is like crazy or attention grabbing i overextend myself and i'm like how do i write a ridiculous lick or how do i like make 
a crazy part D or a part E that will make these two pieces fit together when really sometimes the answer is you just like you do you tweak it in one little way yeah. and when you only tweak it in one little way when, when it's just like a, a key change or when it's just like that's where you do a time signature break but you don't you know fuck it up any other way you don't suddenly make it jank or change the instruments or anything that's when people notice because they can they can hone in on that one isolated variable <laughs> that was different than what they were expecting you, and that's how you get people to digest the challenges yeah i think that you know for me i always try to remember like the less is more approach mm-hmm. and most of the time whenever i'm coming I'm on a song and I'm having trouble with something. Yeah. With me, it's like, okay, it's not about what needs added. It's like, what needs taken away? Yeah. Oh, God. It's so hard to remember to do that, too, but it's so important. Because like, then, like, when I'll start going through and I start realizing, like, oh, I actually, in this verse, I already have, like, a lot of kind of stuff going on and mm-hmm. it's bouncing really well off of each other. But if I strip out half of it, and go half the verse without it. Oh, that's and then do feel then, like so and then now I'm like building, yep. and it still sounds good. Mm-hmm. Versus like it's like usually whenever I'm like sketchbooking out ideas, it's like I'm just like layering stuff on top yep. of each other in like one like thirty second piece, you yep. know. And they're like, cool, like I finally let's start moving forward. And yeah, then I forget to like take shit out of. People that. don't want to listen to a song that just like starts minimal and just builds up and has more and more layers. I've done that so many times. You catch yourself, you're in like the fourth or fifth section of a song and you have seven instruments playing at once. And you're like, wait a minute, I don't need all of these things yeah. back in here. Like when I come back from the chorus, I could go back to just drums and bass for a second. Yeah. Never mind all of this synthesizer, guitar, what other other shit I have in here. It's funny, you know, I think that when you're working in your DAW and you got like unlimited track options, it's really easy to be like, look at the screen, not see a lot and feel like there isn't enough here. Right. But Meanwhile, I, if you're in a three-piece band, well, that yeah, exactly. That's what I was gonna say. Is like I always try to, like, even though I'm primarily producing like hip hop tracks, right. I still try to like think about it like in a rock sense. Okay, it's like okay. I have my drums and my bass, and then maybe one or two keyboard lines, right, at a time. And you know, you don't want to overdo it too much more than that because there needs to be lyrics and yeah. stuff too. And you like a lot of the time too, like when I'm mixing something, it's like. Why the fuck are my vocals buried? Yeah. Oh, because it's trying to dance between all this other percussion, all this other shit that's going on. Take, and everything's in like the same. I could compress my vocals all the fuck I want. They're still going to sound buried because there's all this other shit going yep. on. Got to free it up. Make a little extra space. That's one of the hardest things for me is just remembering to put a fucking EQ on. When I make a crazy synth noise, put an EQ on it. Find the harmonic bands that it needs to be present in to have clarity and to get the the point across and trim the fat you don't need the ultra highs you don't need the ultra lows and you might be able to suck out you know a band in the middle somewhere and that's going to allow you especially if you su- I like to suck out uh, a narrow band near where I have my snare EQ too and mm-hmm. that way the snare pretty much always punches through and you don't have to do side chaining or you don't have to do as much side chaining yeah um and cuz uh, I don't crazy. like the side chaining stuff in something that's not like a four on the floor excessive right. fancy thing because it sounds real fucking weird. Yeah, when you're well, you can I, I like to do it a little bit mildly. Like when I'm making, well, I don't know, 
footwork jams exist in like a, a weird space. I will say like it's just like even anything that's like a consistent rhythm. Yeah, you know, throughout the track. Mm-hmm. Like if I'm talking about like if you have like a like a like a on a rock song or something like that, it's yeah. gonna sound so weird. Of shit ducking out like. Mm-hmm. What the fuck was that? Yeah, if you have it happening for more than um, like 30, 50 milliseconds, it starts to get really, really noticeable. And then you have like, it makes your track sound wobbly or like it can create phase issues, Mm -hmm. I think. I don't know. Um, I'm not like an experienced mixing and mastering engineer. Me either. I've just been self-taught for a long time. So, yeah. Well, moving forward and wrapping up simultaneously here shortly, um, you have any... I mean, you mentioned before that, you know, you're finishing up a couple projects and mm-hmm. things like that. Is there anything like dead, like you have a date release or anything that you could promo or is it just kind of like a, hey, keep an eye out for it? Because uh, I don't know. Yeah. Hey, keep an eye out for me. <laughs> Follow me online. Uh, the Annex soft opening is coming up on August 22nd. I'm not 100% sure what that's going to look like, but very shortly after that, we should see uh, being open to the public. The lawn care tracks are coming up soon. TBD. Uh, TBA, you know the drill. Luminaire stuff I release on a fairly consistent basis. Um, and I'm going to be picking up a little bit more of a podcast schedule. You're, you're like the first stop on my little mini podcast tour here. I have some friends who do like a, a leftist politics and music podcast out of the, um, I'm going to say the wrong valley name, out of uh, Eastern Ohio. Um, and then I'm starting up some podcasts by myself, but yeah, I don't have like a, a, a CD to hold up or anything right now, <laughs> or like a, a hard release date. Just, just keep an eye out for me. I'm around, I'm around Pittsburgh. You can see me on my bike. Yeah. Cool. And, uh, I think that's about it. I think we did it. Cool. That was we good. Did it. We did it. Uh, I'll be back again in a few weeks. I'm real lax on the podcast schedule now. I got too much other shit going on, but you know, hope you enjoyed the conversation. John Paul, thank you thank for coming you. over. I really appreciate it. It was good to shoot the shit with you. I'm happy about the brewery. That's super exciting. Excited to hear all the new music and all this stuff and, you know, learn about uh, things I don't understand on the internet and <laughs> politics. And, man, I'm, I'm, I'm scared. I'm just going to eat party pizzas and uh, I'm going to eat party pizzas while I can. Eat party pizza, be free. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, and you know, I'll be back whenever I am. Uh, same time, same place, same channel. You know the drill. My name is Sykes. Start the beat. 2018. Whoop. Woo. Woo-woo. Thanks for listening. Cool. All right.